0: Right, You know, it's, it's such an amazing thing for us to be able to worship a God who not only is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, but he's all-loving. You know, it would be one thing if he could do all these things and he knew all these things and he was everywhere but he didn't care. But he does. And he showed how much he cared and how much he loved us by sending his son. And his son willingly came and gave his life on the cross for us and then when we would put our faith in Christ, the Father and the Son, the Bible says, said they would come and make their abode in us, their home in us, through the person of Holy Spirit. So God said, you know what, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to be right there with you. That is uh, how good God is. God is so, so good. And we've been, we've been learning about uh, unity. I, I shared with you, started last week to speak about unity and how important it is because I believe most all of us as Christians have this real awareness. There is a conviction in us that revival is, is imminent. that that God is going to bring this revival to pass that is what the Bible says is unlike anything that the world has ever seen. There's going to be such a a move of God, a display of his love, a display of his power, a display of his goodness. And and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are going to turn to Christ, put their faith in Jesus and be saved. But... We can celebrate all that because the Bible tells us it's going to happen. So it is, right? If God says it, it's going to happen. The challenge being this, we all want to be involved, but not everybody will be because there's a choice. And, and what revival requires is unity. Last week we began to look at this, how important unity is, or, or another word for unity is oneness. Because we see God portrayed as three in one, the Trinity, three individuals that are absolutely united, and God made us in his image. God wants us to be united with him and united with one another without that unity with God, connecting with God first and foremost. And then if we're connected to God, if I'm connected to God and you're 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 connected to God, then we're all connected with each other and we ought to act that way. And not let anything come between us. I didn't mean to leave you guys out or you guys at home. If we're all connected to God, then we're all connected to each other. But that's that's where it's so important that we realize that for revival to occur, God has a part, but you have a part. We each have a part to play to make sure that we're connecting to God and we're connected to each other the way God intended us to be because without that, um, it's going to hinder what God wants to do. It's not going to stop it, but it's going to hinder it. And before we go to the Word today, um, I want to share some statistics with you. The information that I've gotten, I've I've researched, and it comes out of uh, Harvard Health, um, Cigna, an insurance company, uh, it comes out of Psychology Today and Social Pro, and there is one other, and I can't, I don't see it on my, oh, yes, Occupational Safety, Health. And, and so Harvard, the Harvard article stated uh, this issue that, that I'm going to share with you um, is a growing health epidemic. And the rate has doubled since 1980 of people being afflicted by this, being, being challenged with this. Uh, actually, in, in 2018 and 2019, those two years, it increased 7% from what was previous. Psychology Today calls it the new epidemic. It has increased risks of early mortality rates that are similar to that for obesity and smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It can decrease your life by eight years. That's kind of scary. What's even more amazing is 60% of Americans admit that they struggle with this. They are challenged by this. And then it's, it's, it's interesting because generationally, it affects different generations to a greater or lesser degree. And I'm going to show you a graph that I, I pulled out. Debbie actually made it for me, but uh, it was in one of the articles. And <clears throat> Gen Z, which is 18 to 22, listen, I, my wife and I have already had a discussion about where everybody kind of thinks they are. But this is the information that was on the graph. So uh, Gen Z, which is 18-year-olds to 22-year-olds, experienced this of them experienced almost 8 out of 10. That's massive. And then the millennials, uh, 23 years to 37 years, 71%. Gen Xers, 60%, boomers, 50%, and the greatest generation, which is 71 years and older, are the least likely to report this. And there's some other information I want to share with you and that is that social media has an effect. Social media users that uh, are kind of moderate users, light to moderate users, experience this 52% of the time. But heavy social media users, the number jumps to 75, 73%. Now, all this information was compiled before February of 2020. What do you think it is? Okay, I heard depression, I heard loneliness, what? Stress, Stress, anxiety, all of those are good, but this is speaking directly to loneliness, people feeling alone. All this information came before February of 2020. Then we had COVID. We had what, what, what has caused this to be even more increased, Um, I was reading in this, and they said that the numbers may actually be higher than what's reported because people have a tendency not to want to admit that, that they deal with loneliness. But if you look around here this morning, there's an indication by the numbers that there's a large group of us here, you at home, that are struggling with this. I will tell you that I've struggled with this at times where I have felt alone. I felt lonely. And it's not anything to do with my wife. I have a great wife. I have great friends. But the enemy attacks me at times with feeling isolated and alone. And you know, God even said it wasn't good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we'll look at that. But before we do... I just want you to bow your heads and pray because God wants to impart something to you today. You at home, God's right there. He wants to to download something that would change your lives, help fortify you, help uh, solidify you and establish you so that whatever you face, you wouldn't be overwhelmed by it because you'd know that the greater one is with you. So, Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you for your presence here with people watching online. There's no place we can go that you're not there. And Father, we we ask for your participation. We welcome you to speak to us about you, your plans, your provisions, your power. About us, areas of change, encouragement. Lord, that, that we would... Be who you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do. And right now, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you said your word would not pass away, but as your word goes forth, it will prosper in the way it goes. You'll confirm it with signs and wonders and miracles. Your word is truth will set people free. Your word is life and health. We thank you for healings. Your word is a lamp unto our path and a light unto our feet. You'll give us understanding and wisdom, direction, and and revelation. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do here today in each of our lives so that we will truly experience going from glory to glory. We'll, We'll continue to increase and gain and grow in you. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said so you know in Genesis, when God created everything and created man, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, this is a real common or familiar portion of Scripture. It said God made man, and, and God said it's not good that man should be what? Alone, alone. alone. Now, that word alone, it, the Hebrew word means alone, apart, separate, or by self, and it comes from a root word. And it really surprised me when I I started to look at what the root word of this word alone is. And the root word means to divide or isolate. To divide or isolate. Now, we know what God did, right? To, To solve this challenge of aloneness, what did he do? He made Eve, right? He made another human being that was same kind but very different from Adam. And he said the two will be one. You Be united as one, the New Living Translation says. Now, look at this. This is what God did to solve this isolation, this division, this loneliness. He made another human being, same kind, but very different. I'm not going to ask you wives, are your husbands really different than you? Because we all know that's true. And, and the same thing. But you know what? What he's talking about is it's, it's uniting people. God is a God that unites. And he takes diverse people and puts them together and celebrates their diversity and benefits each other through that diversity. Now, it's not that everybody has to be married, but God has for every one of us to be connected connected with him first and foremost. We, we looked at that last week real quickly, that to have revival, we got to be connected with God. Revival doesn't happen without God, and we have to be connected first. But once we're connected to God, we have to work to connect with each other. Because some of you aren't as easy to connect with as others. Some of you are like, who are you talking about? I'm talking about me. I'm, I'm not always easy to connect with, but I'm part of the body of Christ. And as part of the body of Christ, I'm needed. I'm not just needed and wanted by God. I'm needed by you. I need you. You need each other. We need all of us. But the enemy has effectively worked to keep that divided. Because we know any kingdom, city, or home divided will what? yeah it won't stand it can't because that division is where the enemy operates, and so we've got to be aware that this revival that's coming is only going to be preceded by unity, and we have a choice in that we we choose last week we we began to look at uh the book of first corinthians and uh Last week I shared with you from the first chapter in the 10th verse where Paul writes to the church at Corinth. uh, He appeals to them as brothers and sisters by the authority of Jesus. So it wasn't a light thing. He hits them hard from the very beginning about division. He said there should be no division in the church. Now, it's not the best way to open up a letter Because he's saying, by the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I'm telling you there should be no division. Why did he do that? Because if you look at the the whole book of 1 Corinthians, there is a number of different themes, but one of the biggest ones that he deals with is division throughout the book. Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, he's addressing division in the church. And it's not different today. Today there's division in the church. And when we talk about unity, it's got to be between brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot be united with somebody who doesn't hold the same foundational truths as we do. The Bible says in Amos 33, how can two walk together except they be agreed? We need to love everybody, but we cannot unite with everybody. Hello? There's a difference. We're going to look at that a little bit today, but we know that he said, let there be no divisions in the church. Be of one mind united in thought and purpose. And so in, in chapter 3, he talks about the carnality of the Corinthians, the fleshiness, where they, it brought strife and division. It was because one preferred Paul over Apollos. They said, you know, this is our leader, this is our leader. Not unlike us where we say, this is going to be our leader. We want this leader. But it was just bringing division. And a house divided, or a church divided, or a family divided won't stand. In chapter four, he talks about those that had superior uh, perspectives of themselves and and looked down on other people that brought division. Chapter six, uh, there is another aspect of division that he dealt with. Chapter seven was divorce. Chapter eight, it was about idols and food that brought division. Chapter 10, it was about self-seeking that brought division. You know, this division comes from us being very self-focused. If I'm self-focused, I can't unite with anybody else because nobody else is like me. And what I want is everybody to to be like me and to do what I want done. Chapter 11, even in chapter 11, today we, we experience communion, right? We partook of the Lord's Supper. And that's usually where we read and misread from there. But one of the things he addressed about communion, the Lord's Supper, was that they were divided. There were real rich people that didn't didn't care about the poor people. The rich people had all sorts of stuff to eat, and they would just eat these massive meals, and, and the poor people didn't have anything. And so there was this division. And throughout the book, Paul points one after another about this division and how it needs to be taken care of. It shouldn't be allowed to continue because what it does is destructive. And in chapter 12, uh, verse 12 and 13, we're going to look at that this morning. And it says this. For as the body is one, it has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So it's saying that the body is one, but it's made up of many different ones, but it makes up one body that's Christ. It's very much like what I share with you about our national motto. Our national motto in America is E Pluribus Unum. Anybody remember what that is? Out of many, one. What America celebrates is diversity, or at least it used to. That there was a value, there was a celebration, there was an acceptance of of diversity. Now, we can unite and celebrate diversity, but... We can't celebrate sin. And unfortunately in our times, people want to be celebrated for whatever they do. They want everybody to believe the same thing and celebrate the same thing and affirm the same thing. And, and that's not possible because that's not really unity. Because unity can't be made by man. It ultimately breaks down. But the only thing, the only one that can truly bring unity is God. He goes on to say, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So he's showing the diversity. Jews and Greeks, they were very different. Slaves and free, they were very different. But he said, we can be united because there's one spirit. There's one God, the God whose love, who unites us. There's more that we have in common than we have different because we have the Lord. And if we look at people and we think that, you know, they're, they're just so different. If they don't have the Lord, then there's no real ability to, to unite with them for any sustained period. But if they do have the Lord, there's more that unites us than could ever divide us because guess what? Whatever may be dividing us, it's not going to make a difference in heaven. Because the thing that unites us is Jesus, His Lordship, and that's eternal. And that's what we have to major on. Not all the minors that we've been minoring on. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 through or 4 through 6 in the message translation, Paul addresses the church at Ephesus. And he said, You were all called to travel the same road in the same direction, so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. Now, in the the King James translation, it says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling. So there's a oneness. That's that's the same thing as unity. There's a oneness. It goes on to say you have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, of all who rules over all, works through all, is present in all, and everything you are, and think and do is permeated with oneness. Permeated with oneness. This is how we're supposed to be living. That we recognize we have more that connects us and it's more important than what might disconnect us, might divide us. And that's why we, we know that we read that the Bible tells us we're to endeavor or to work or make every effort. To keep the unity that the spirit has created in the bond of peace. It's work. It's work. You know why it's work? Because we have to put ourselves aside. And we have to put somebody else first. And it's worth it. It's what God intends and what God wants and what we need and what this world needs. If this world is going to experience revival, we need the oneness. We need to be permeated with this oneness. This oneness in everything we are, in everything we think, and everything we do. I have to tell you, over the course of the last over a year, God has been really searching me because I've asked Him, I've told Him, God, I, I want all that you have. I I don't want to miss what you're doing. I don't want to miss out on what you're doing. And I don't want to be caught up in all the stuff that's going on in our world that's just distracting and dividing. And I will tell you what's happened, that God has made me very aware, and I've, I've, I have continue to ask him daily, God, help me to be sensitive and aware when I am operating and giving myself to things that would bring division in the body. And I will tell you this, that one of the things that's been happening is I am repenting a whole lot more than I've ever repented in my life. And you might say, I don't want to go through my life repenting. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Yeah, because what it does is it starts to get the junk out of the way. Oh, my gosh. We live in a dirty world. I'm talking about sin. And you know, I, I, I worked out in California for a number of years and I, I could not get acclimated to the heat out there. It was just so hot. They, they set a record the first few weeks I was out there for uh, continuous days over 110 degrees. I don't want to get anywhere near hell. But I would, I would just, I'd take a shower, head to work, and by the time I got to work, I was soaked. I ended up taking two or three showers a day because I hated the feeling of being that dirty. And the Lord made me, re, reminded me of that time and said, you know how you disliked being dirty? But you get dirty every day you walk in this world because you give in to sin. So why not take a bath? Why not take a shower? That's what repenting is. It's turning around and getting cleaned up again and getting reconnected with God. And so I've been doing that because it's it's so important. But this is telling us everything we are, we think, and we do needs to be permeated with oneness. Whenever we're not working towards unity in the body, and again, I'm telling you, this pertains to believers in Jesus Christ. It's the only place we can unite and have this unity this way. And it's not to the exclusion when we unite, and we're going to see this, we're not going to see this today, next week we're going to see how this is connected, but you're going to be able to read this week from the last scripture I share with you today how connected unity, oneness is with revival, with people getting saved. Without it, people won't be saved the way they should be. And so we we have to have this oneness. And every time I'm not doing what is necessary to keep the unity in the bond of peace. I'm not fostering oneness. I'm working with the enemy's team. I hate the enemy. But I choose to work with him when I have thoughts And perspectives, and I say words and I do things that don't unite but divide. And it's true for all of us. And I don't think any one of us wants to assist the enemy. And yet, there's a lot of assistance going on from Christians in bringing division and not maintaining unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, we looked at this last week. And in the voice translation, it says this, make every effort. What effort does that leave out? None. This is that important. Our effort, our energy ought to be in making every effort to preserve what God has created. When you and I come into the body of Christ, we're connected with God, but we're also interconnected as the body. Just as this body that you carried around today, you came in here with, there's not a piece that you said, yeah, I don't need it, I'm going to leave it home. Right? Or if I walked up to you today and said, hey, you know what, you don't need that, and I pull your ear off. Pastor, I never knew you thought like that. I'm just, this is for the sake of understanding. I do damage to you. I do damage to the whole body. And the moment we think a brother or sister isn't important and we don't choose to make every effort to to preserve the unity that God created, we're working against God and we're damaging the body, which is ourselves too. And who might be behind that? The enemy. And so we, we end up aligning ourselves and being allies of the enemy, even though we're children of God, but not acting like it. And the world sees it and they say, what, I don't want to be a part of that. Look at them. Tearing each other up, judging each other, not helping each other, not overlooking things. You know, if we're going to walk in love, we don't demand our own way. We don't count a suffered wrong. We believe the best Of everyone, this is walking in love, walking in God, being a child of God. So we make every effort to preserve the unity that the Spirit has already created, with peace binding you together. Every effort, but you know, our human nature isn't to make unity, isn't to be united. Humanly speaking, people without God, who is their number one focus? Themselves. Themselves. Because that's what we revert to. And even as Christians, if we're not tight with God, if we're not walking with God, if we're not trusting God, if we're not uh, following God, we're going to revert to that. I want what I want. We can all do it. And there's a picture of a person that in the New Testament, that's pretty much how he lived, he was part of a church, but he was doing damage in the church. And you probably know him. His name is Diotrephes, right? No, Fran, come on, you're a student of the Bible. In Third John chapter one verse nine, we look at this person, and, and it says this. John is writing to the church. He said, I wrote to the church. To the church. He could say I'm writing to Resurrection Life Church. Okay. And he says, but Diotrephes who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. And then it goes on in the next verse, and we're not going to go into it, but in the next verse, he begins to list off all these things that Diotrephes is doing because he loves the preeminence. He spreads vicious rumors. He refuses to show hospitality. Uh, Anybody that starts to show hospitality to, to traveling Christians, he tells them to stop. And then if they don't listen to him, he wants to boot them out of the church. Oh, that couldn't happen today. Well, preeminence. You know, we've talked about preeminence before, but this word preeminence means to be first or chief in rank and influence, authority and order. He wanted to be first. Me first. I want what I want. And I want what I want, and I want you to want what I want. And I want you to support me in what I want. And if you don't do what I want, I don't want you. I have no need of you. Get out. Is that how Christians are supposed to live? But can we live that way? Yeah, we can all live that way. We're all tempted to do that. And yet... Paul points out, this is a problem. Or John points out, this is a problem. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And yet they were were just kind of watching as this happened. And it's, like I said, it's not uncommon. In our society today, when we look around, we see a lot of people wanting what they want and wanting you to want what they want. And not only you to want what they want, celebrate what they want affirm and support what they want, and abandon what you want. It's not different than what happened in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a book about Israel and God and how God was doing what, what he promised to Israel, and Israel would follow for a while, and then they decide they wanted what they wanted, something different than what God wanted for them, which was best, but they thought they knew better. They'd go off. God would send a judge. That judge would come in and speak to Israel and reprimand them and tell them to get back on track with God, repent, turn around, get right with God, follow God. And because they were in such difficult times, you know, most people don't change because they know enough to change. Most people change because of the pain. And that's the same thing with Israel. They got in so much painful situations and God told them what to do and they finally turned back to God. They get on track and then they go off again because they wanted to do what they wanted to do. In the last verse of the last chapter of the book of Judges, it tells you what was going on. Why was this cycle occurring? Why were they they continuing to go off? Why were they divided from God? Why were they divided from each other? Why were they experiencing all the damage that they were experiencing? And and in verse twenty. Twenty-five of chapter 21, it says this, in those days the Israelites did not have a king, so everyone did whatever they thought was right. Can I tell you something? That's the times we're living in. People are just doing what they think is right. And why, why did it happen at that time? Why did it happen in Israel? Because they didn't have a king. Oh, so we need a king. You've got a king. We've got a king. Jesus is our king. And, and what a king did was a king was the final say. He was the authority. He was the one that said, This is what's going to happen, and this is how it's going to happen. And this is, and, and everybody made it happen because they were under the king. They benefited from being under the king and in the kingdom. But Israel, because there was no recognized king, there was no king, they just did what they each wanted to do. And if everybody's doing whatever they think is right, what kind of environment is that? Chaotic, right? Confusing, right? Stressful? Yeah. Because everybody wanted what they wanted, which required them to have help from everybody else. And if everybody else is seeking their own way, there's this tension that's going on between everybody. Nobody's trusting anybody else. Everybody's looking to everybody else to help. And nobody wants to help because they want what they want. And it's really not too far from where we are. Not too far. Because today, there are all sorts of people that want what they want. And it started out, and it, everybody wants to be heard, right? We want people to listen to us, so we want them to know what's important to us. But what happens is people want to be heard, and now we've taken some other steps beyond that where I don't just want you to hear me. I want you to accept and believe what I believe. I want you to hear me, Accept and believe what I believe. And now affirm and celebrate what I believe. I want you to hear me. I want you to accept and affirm what I believe. Celebrate what I believe. Support what I believe. And then adopt what I believe. And it goes another step, abandon what you believe. There'll never be unity in that. Because as an individual or a group, if we're demanding everybody be like us, and you know what, that's not what Christianity is. We're not demanding anything. We're presenting truth. And we love everybody no matter what their choice is. We may not be able to unite with them, but we certainly are supposed to love them. And in the the world that we live in now, if we don't hear people out, which we should, we should listen to everybody because everybody's valuable. And I will tell you, I've had more conversations in the last eight months with people that think very different than me But I've listened to them because I need to learn. I need to understand. But the other thing is I can't always do what they want because they want the next step. Many times people want, and and you need to believe what I believe. And sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. If it's in opposition to God's word, I can't. Because his words are the words of life. And no matter how much I love somebody, if I compromise on God's word, I'm really not loving them and I'm not loving God. And so I listen and what I want is I want them to listen to me. And many times people, if don't agree, they just want to shut you down. Now we can't afford to be that way. We need to listen to everybody because everybody is valuable. But we have to have enough internal fortitude, enough confidence in God and commitment to God that we're not just going to cave and say, well, okay, I guess that's right. Because if it's not truth, it's not life-giving. But we can choose to do something that we don't do anymore. We can choose to disagree agreeably. Where I don't agree with you, but I still value you. You're still important. I still love you. And we don't force each other to adopt something that we don't believe and abandon what we do believe because of peer pressure. because it's just going to end up in division. And what I've noticed, too, is that when people, and this is my perspective, it's not worth anything, but I've noticed that a lot of times when people want you to listen and want you to affirm and want you to celebrate and support and adopt and abandon if you don't, these very people begin to bully you and try and force you into coming over, which we as Christians, we've done that. And we shouldn't. We don't, we don't need to bully anybody. We don't need to push anybody. It's not going to somebody and saying, you're going to hell. That's not the good news. The good news that we're supposed to present is that Jesus... God so loved the world he gave his son. His son so loved the father and us that he gave his life. And they together will come and work in us and help us experience an abundant life. But we have to turn away from what we had followed before and turn to him. It's not turning to my beliefs. I didn't write the Bible. But I've chosen to make the Bible my foundation for my life. And I can't just abandon it because somebody else thinks they have a better idea. And I won't. You know, there are a lot of things that, that honestly, there's pressure coming down for pastors and churches to adopt certain things or they'll go to jail or they'll shut them down. Promise me if I go to jail, you'll visit me. (laughs) But that's because I have made a choice. There's a choice we all need to make. Diatrophies. One of the preeminence he wanted to be first he wanted everybody to follow him, adjust to him, adapt to him, be influenced by him. but in in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 it says this: he speaking of Jesus is the head of this body, the church, so that in every aspect at every view or perspective in everything he Is first in the New King James. It says he has the preeminence. It's what Diotrephes wanted and shouldn't have had, and what Jesus should have that we all need him to have. We in the church need Jesus to be preeminent. He needs to have first place. He needs to be the greatest influence. He needs to be the one that's leading and guiding and directing. He needs to be that in every aspect in every view or perspective, in everything we do. Everything we do. Because if that's the case, if he has the preeminence, if he is first place, that literally means that love is leading us. And the Bible says the only thing that never fails is love. And when we start to walk in love, be united with God who is love, to walk in love with one another, the world's going to take notice. Jesus said, they'll, they'll know that you're my disciples. The original translation says, they cannot deny you're my followers by your love one for another. That's how they'll know. And that's how unity comes. Unity comes through love and humility. Throughout the scripture we see this. And what we see, and we're going to look at this as the last scripture today. But I'm asking you, we're going to go into the gospel of John. And we're going to look at at a verse in chapter 17. But I'm going to ask you this week. Please, you here, you at home, take time. Sit down with your Bible, whatever it is, electronic or if it's a uh, paper, whatever it is, open it up to chapter 17. Because chapter 17 is the longest prayer that's recorded that the Lord made. Now, I know we, we... say the Lord's Prayer, and that's when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. But this is actually the Lord's Prayer. This is how he prayed. This is what he prayed. And, and there are three portions to it. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all believers, which is you and me. So you ought to find out what he prayed for you. But in verse 11 of chapter 17, it says this. He says, Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return to be with you. How many of you know that this was a very important time, that that he knows he's got very little time left here on earth? And what he's about to say is of utmost importance. You know, one of the things that I've found that happens, I don't know why it happens. I'll be spending time with people and, and, you know, we do a lot of, you know, small talk and things like that. And it's almost like as they're leaving, they'll say, hey, you know what? Um, yeah. And they blurt out something, and it's like, why did you wait till now? We're just about to separate. Why are you dropping the heavy stuff now? Sometimes it's because they aren't sure they're going to get another chance to talk. Jesus is talking to his Father. And that in itself, Holy Father. It shows relationship. It shows connection. And then he he says, I'm about to return to you, but my, another connection, another uniting, united with the Father, now united with the disciples. My disciples will remain here. Holy Father, each one that you have given to me. There's an inner connection there. Keep them in your name. Now, I want you to understand when it says keep them in your name, it's not just an arbitrary thing. What it is, the Bible tells us we're supposed to pray in Jesus' name. It's not putting Jesus, the name of Jesus at the end of whatever we want to ask. That's not how prayers are answered. When it says in his name, it's talking about in his nature, in his character, in his way, and in his will. And so when it says keep them in your name, keep them in your nature, your character, your way, and your will, that they will be... Now. I'm going to ask for some help this morning. And and you at home can do this too. But when I say, so they will be, then I want us all together to read to the period. Okay, got that? So they will be united as one, even as we are one. Close your eyes. I'm asking you to close your eyes because I want you to take a moment. Don't let anything distract you from what you just read. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed for us. Prayed for you at home. Prayed for his his disciples. That they would be one just as the Father and Son are one. Now open your eyes. Father God, Son Jesus. Only one time they were separated. And it was just because he was not able to see his father, but his father was there. When sin came, the sin of the world came on Jesus. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But because of the sin, sin covers our face from God. That's what the scriptures say. In that moment... God was not seen by the sun, but he was still there. The Bible says, though, I make my bed in hell, you're still there. God is everywhere without exclusion, but it's that we're not aware of him. Our sin deadens our ability to be aware of God, but it doesn't move God. God doesn't move away from you because of sin because he loved us in our trespasses and sins. So Jesus and the Father are one, always have been, always will be. And he's saying, I'm praying, Father, that my followers, us, will be one with each other just as the Father and Son are one. Does that, does that, that cause anybody else to tilt besides me? That's like the scripture I read where the scripture says, Be holy as as he is holy. That's another one I want to say. No, can't do it. Love, love, be one with brothers and sisters in Christ as you and the Father one. No, no, can't do it. But the scripture says, I can do all things through. Gosh, we sang that this morning. Are they just words? Or do we believe him? Because this is what God says that we need to do. This is what Jesus prayed. And if he prayed it, we can do it. But we can't do it in ourselves. We can't do it in our own effort. We can't do it in our own ability. We can't do it by human means. But we can do it by the grace of God and the love of God. And what you will see this week as you read this chapter What's connected with us being one in two places in Jesus's prayer, it connects our oneness, our unity with people knowing that he's the son of God. That's how revival's going to happen. They're going to know he's the son of God, not because we're so slick and so smart and, and so amazing, because we're united with one another that are so different. Because we choose to love God and love each other. And people are going to say, they've got to be followers of Christ. And I see something that I don't see anywhere else. And I need it. And it's going to be different because the world right now doesn't think they need what we have. With good reason, we act just like them. But we're not supposed to walk as mere men. We're supposed to be transformed, changed. One of the greatest transformations is when an individual, a human being, begins to walk in love and begins to build bridges and unite with brothers and sisters in Christ and love those that are opposed to him. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. I, I, I thank you for being here today. I thank you for tuning in online. But I'm not looking for an audience. That's not what I want. I want to be able to present God's truth to people that God loves so that our lives will be different and other people will see that difference. And as Jesus is lifted up in our lives, the Bible says Christ in us is the hope of glory. As Jesus is lifted up in our lives, he said, if I'll be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. We know he was talking about the cross, but he was also talking about the fact when God, who is love, begins to ascend and arise and control and guide and govern our lives, people are going to be drawn to him. If you've never turned to Him, that's the beginning. Until we're drawn to Him, we can't help anybody else come to Him. And if you're here today and you've never turned to Christ and trusted in Christ, that's the beginning step. We can't take a step of being united with others until we're united with Him. And, and then comes through repentance. We turn around from running our own lives and we turn our lives over to Christ receiving the forgiveness that he has already purchased and, and begin to walk in a, a new and living way. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray today if you've never done that. I'm going to ask us all to pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who willingly came into the earth, lived a sinless life, Went to the cross as an innocent man and died for my sins and was raised glorious and victorious. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent, I turn around, I turn to you, and I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your forgiveness and cleansing my life. Today, I'm a new creation. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.